0: All right. Welcome, everyone. Today we are talking with Dr. Sarah Powell. She is an Associate uh, associate Professor in the Department of Special Education at the University of Texas in Austin. She Mm -hmm. has been a principal investigator for several research studies and projects. The funding for her studies have come from grants from IES, TEA, the National Science Foundation, the Office of Special Education Programs, Office of Inno- and the Office of Innovation and Improvement. Her research interests include developing and testing interventions for students with mathematics difficulties, with a special emphasis on peer tutoring, word problem solving, mathematics writing, and the symbols and vocabulary within mathematics. A graduate of Vanderbilt University and a student of the pioneer of education, of a pioneer of education, interventions, Lynn Fuchs. She brings to Texas the vision of school improvements potential for a vision of equitable education. Currently, Dr. Sarah Powell is also associate director of the Meadows Center for Preventing Educational Risk. And we are here with Dr. Powell today to talk with her about this organization and the ways in which it has helped improve educational practices and decrease the risk for identifying the identification of learning disabilities in children in our schools. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Powell for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was a very nice introduction. Thank you. All right. So just. To start off, we're hoping you can just tell us a little bit about the Meadows Center and how it was started.
1: Yeah, so the Meadows Center for Preventing Educational Risk, um, or a lot of people at UD call it the Meadows Center, but there are other Meadows in the state of Texas. Um, but it was started in eight with a major donation from the Meadows Foundation, which is from the Meadows family that's based in Dallas, Texas. Um, and with that donation, Sharon Vaughn, who is our executive director of the Meadows Center, really got things going, and she still continues to do that to this day. So the Meadows Center is housed within the College of Education at UT Austin, Um, but researchers who participate in the Meadows Center, many of them come from the College of Education, but there are also researchers from several other colleges and the Dell Medical School who have an affiliation with the Meadows Center. And uh, we kind of wonder like what it is. Uh, There is a for the Meadows Center, um, but more often than not, our work is done out in schools. Uh, We do a lot of school-based research and the Meadows Center is a space that brings researchers together who are all interested in uh, what is important in terms of preventing educational risk across grades pre-K through 12 and actually beyond into uh, college and career settings for some of our projects. And so many people in Meadows are actually appointed within a department. like I have an ap- appointment within the Department of Special Education, but then I also have an within the Meadows Center, which allows me to run several of my research projects within the Meadows Center um, at UT Austin. And there are some people within the Meadows Center, um, but regardless everyone is really just trying to figure out some of the best ways to prevent educational risk. Uh, here in the state of Texas and across the United States, and we all do that. And and just uh, some numbers to the Meadows Center since 2008. So over the last 14 years or so, uh, Meadows Center has brought in $50 million in research funds to allow us to uh, work focused on in Texas and across the United States. And the majority of those funds come from federal rich grants like those from IES or the National Science Foundation or OSEP. Um, but third of that comes state and local grants, and then we also do receive some foundation funding that allows us to do that work. And to date, uh, Meadows has with over two hundred thousand teachers or educators, and their work has impacted over two point five million students, which is a, a really big number. So it's really exciting to be a part of that effort.
0: Right. So for someone like us, diagnosticians on the other side, it's just so comforting to know that there are people out there who are actually, you know, trying to prevent. Um, learning learning risks and yeah. learning disabilities and,
1: and, and, yeah <laughs> trying to prevent inmates yeah so um, that's the fun thing about being at the meadow center is hearing all of the different projects that are going on at any one time you know there are projects right now that are focused on students uh, who uh, have autism and reading difficulties that those students face there's projects that go on with to are hard of hearing and addition to a college setting and so um, there's so many different things that are going on at any one
0: time, it's, it's really an exciting place. Wow. So you're a student of Lynn Fuchs, for yeah, anyone who, studies, yeah. <laughs> who yeah. studies special education, that name is so prevalent in research and interventions, and in the early years when RTI was founded, there was mm-hmm. really this idea that... Um, and, and hopefully that idea keeps continuing, but the idea that equity in education could bring around inclusivity for children in special education and that equal education was essential for creating just overall greater societal equality. So you can you tell me a little bit about your uh, when you were working with Dr. Fuchs, what you learned from her vision and how that made an impact on your efforts and uh, your research at the Meadows Center? Oh,
1: yeah. Um, Yeah, well, I've learned most everything that I really know about doing school-based research from Lynn. So I uh, was a graduate doing a master's degree at Vanderbilt um, in the year 2000. And in one of my classes, one of my colleagues said, hey, over in special education, which is not the department that I was in at the time, um, they need a research assistant. Somebody just quit. This was like January. So it's always hard to staff a project at school year. And at the True pub and they said, oh, on this kid make a thousand dollars a month. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I went, I was running this project and it was Lynn Fuchs who at the time I did not know of, because I had more a general education background at that time instead of a special education background. Um, but I had kindergarten and first grade classrooms and I was running a program in kindergarten, uh, classrooms, uh, doing search on a program called math pals, learning strategies. And some of you may have heard of that project um, in the past, and so I got hired on that. We wanted to have a job besides uh, selling beer, and I started going out with the project lead, and uh, you know, working. We were doing fidelity in kindergarten classrooms. I didn't know what fidelity observe at the time, uh, but I, I really, uh, you know, developing the math piles program, and testing the efficacy of it, and I really loved it. I just, I loved spending the math space. I loved spending time in kindergarten, first grade classrooms. But I also loved those clusters and going back to the office and doing some of the nerdy parts of that so uh so i went and taught kindergarten and then through just a series of different events uh ended up looking shahab and lids had just received some funding from the nih to uh, write a new program at that time it was called math wise and then also pirate math which you might have heard of before and so my colleague pamela and i uh, we're engaged in writing those programs and then testing the efficacy of those programs in schools. And I did that all of the program. So around uh, 2005, I believe, uh, they had just received some new funding for a PhD program, so Lynn uh, asked me if I was interested and I never thought that that would be me. Um, it always goes back to show me the power of one person. If you, you know, one person can really make a difference in people's lives and that person was Lynn. Uh, so it's like, I think you'd like a PhD program and you would like to, you know, dig deeper into the research. And she was right. So then um, she was my, advisor in my PhD program. And then I continued to work with her two years after I graduated spent a lot of time with Lynn, uh, some of our first work on the pirate math program. And then I started my own job uh, at the end of 2011. So from Lynn, um, I, as I said, I learned everything. I learned how to do school-based research, uh, everything, IR approval, to getting school district approval, to recruiting uh, principals and students for participation. Um, you know, As part of things, I learned how to pre and post test. I learned how to design interventions, which I think was probably the most helpful to learn from her. Um, she edits every word of the end, which I now do now. Um, so language, how to teach math, because I, I learned so much from her about that. Um, and from her, how to be proactive, a keen interest in identifying students who have math difficulty and working with them so that that uh, difficulty doesn't persist. So that was always really to me. Um, I also learned from Peter, uh, She was kind of um, you know not closer to retirement. They were leading a number of research projects at any one time, and how to rely on lead school-based research and how to hire the right people and let them shine. And um, I, I learned from her. She's just amazing. She's actually one of my closest friends. Uh, I feel. Really lucky to call her a friend. I still and work with her regularly, and also get to hang out with her for fun. So um, it's just been a a lucky chance that somebody told me she was hiring um, back in the year two thousand, and that really kind of changed the course of my adult life. Been really
0: my first experience in uh, special education was uh, as a volunteer in high school, and there was Uh a special back in the days when there was actually special ed schools, public schools. I think it, I don't think it's still there, but um, it was an early childhood school, but it went to age eight. So it had second grade in it and just even children with disabilities, learning Mm -hmm. disabilities. And it was called the Fuchs Center. Like it was named after her. So like that (laughs) was one of my few, you know, first experiences that's in, yeah, in Beltsville, I mean, Maryland. She's
1: absolutely, but Doug Fuchs is not too bad himself. He'll crack up if he ever hears me say that. But um, <laughs> with, with them and their research teams, is was, uh, I stumbled on really fortunate. Uh, and and really a lot of the people that I worked with at that time, I continue to do research with, including Lynn herself, but also a lot of the people that graduated kind of under her tutelage and under Doug's tutelage around the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great. I love
0: that there's a school named the on. So <laughs> there, there's um. If anyone listening wants um to hear Lynn Fuchs speak, there are videos on the Iris Center modules uh, that are about RTI, where she speaks directly towards RTI on those. And then if you want to use some of her free products, there's a uh, uh, project Re- uh, ProAct has some free maze CBMs. So that's um, something I'm always trying to promote. Is the Use of CBMs among diagnosticians and teachers. So um, mm-hmm. she has some free resources there. Um, so the Metal Center has researchers that access grants through a number of agencies. We yes. talked about IES, yeah. PA, OSEP, others. So what are these major organizations looking for? What what do they want answers to? And what areas of research tend to receive funding more readily?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. So I, you know, many times when you look at the request for proposals or the request for applications from, you know, whether it is TA or a federally funded agency, they're, they're fairly Broad, more often they are looking for people to suggest innovative proposals to them. Uh, so, especially with IES, they put out their requests for proposals. You know, they'll say like research across pre K through grade twelve and reading, writing, mathematics, behavior. You know, you tell us what you've got. And I think one of the more important things that we're seeing from grant agencies is that they want to know that. It's not just an interesting problem for you as a researcher to work on, but there's a school or a school or a state that also has that. So in the IES that was focused on COVID, um, COVID learning and trying to accelerate learning after the COVID pandemic or at the end of the COVID pandemic, I guess I should say, you had to have a school district partner and you had to like bring them on board with you. It wasn't just a researcher proposing the project; it was the school and a researcher proposing the project. So uh, I think that they're really uh, grant agencies are always really interested in figuring out, you know, what are the issues that are out there that we really need to work on, and then funding people who have innovative uh, and or maybe pragmatic ways to help schools with those um, with those problems that they may face. Uh, and just persistence is key. You know, There are calls that may come out several times a year, or maybe a call only comes out once a year. Um, but it, within the Meadow, there are all of those that you have to at least submit something multiple times before it gets funded. So while some of us and are like, oh, they got a grant funded every year. Well, last summer I submitted four grants and not all four of them got funded, um, but I'm so, you know, some things may get funded if you're lucky on the first try, but many times it's the second try or the third try. And so persistence is key and also communication with the funding agencies, talking to the program officers at IES or NSF or NIH and uh, talking to them about, you know, how could I strengthen this proposal? What are some of the needs that your agency sees? So it's just a lot of communication with many of the involved parties and persistence, which is what allows many people within the Meadows Center to receive the level of funding that they receive.
0: I've already talked to my executive director about Participating in an IES grant, oh, yeah. so oh, yeah, I'm trying so to cool. get that yeah. you know on her desk so she knows yeah. about it. Oh, that's um, exciting! Yeah, so um, the the Meadows Center also se- seems to make a lot of strides to build relationships with local agencies and to make sure that what's learned um also uh is comes into the classroom. So yeah. I've seen the Meadows Center logo on several pieces of literature. Mm-hmm. You know, the, a couple that's weeks good. ago. <laughs> yeah. Couple of pieces, weeks ago, we, we got a lot of attention here on Clubhouse for um, reviewing Jack Fletcher and Jeremy uh, Mishak's um, SLD uh, handbook, handbook, which has yeah. yeah, which has your logo on it. And then Dr. Woodruff has also talked to us mm-hmm. about how to how the efforts at the Meadows Center were used to create the modules um, for improving reading instruction, and those mm-hmm. have sort of developed into those uh, reading academies of today. Yeah, And so how does the Meadow Center really work with government agencies, especially like TEA, to facilitate change in policy? That's
1: a great question, and it's probably for every project that the Meadow Center works on in collaboration with TEA. So uh, there are always sort of efforts that typically are going on at any one time. Uh, one of our big right now, which I have a slight hand in, is our TIER project so that's TIER, T I E R, and that stands for Tiered Interventions in Evidence Based Research. And that is one of the networks that is funded by the Tennessee. So there are focused on inter-best practices, which is ours, but that's the TIER project. There are networks focused on multiple disabilities. There's a network focused on um, inclusion in Texas that's housed by README down in San Antonio. Um, and Meadows is happy to house the TIER network. And so we've been funded for three years now, hopefully going into a fourth year of funding. And with that project, we are asked to really inform all of the state level conversations and efforts related to multi-tiered systems of support. So we have developed a series of modules. There are about C6 that I believe have been developed to date. Uh, many of them are a website no tier, campus site. we uh, will under- see them come out over the next year. As part of that project, we have some modeled in schools that we're working with. Um, there's a lot of trainer trainers to use the tier materials. And so um, our tier team does that with people from the regional service centers, as well as some of our local education agencies. Uh, one of the things that I'm a very small part of it, but over the past year, we collaborated with uh, Southern Methodist University to develop a series of TEKS aligned K through six computation measures so you will see those on the tier website hopefully starting this fall uh but one of the questions about progress monitoring and math was always well is this aligned?" Or we a lot of weeks aligned materials and so we put out the uh the i guess yeah we TV talked to hey cheeks aligned progress monitoring measures that can kind of extend the teamy the you know the texas early math inventories and they said sure develop that as their network and we did and they've been Uh, being tested this year at some schools across Texas, and they will be widely available starting fall of 2022. Um, And there are probably about 20 other things that the team is doing at any one time. Um, They are a dynamic uh, that's housed within the Meadows Center. And really, we, you know, put together a lot of ideas and run them by TEA. But more often than not, we're responding to asks from to anything about MTSS in the state of Texas. And as Thea talked about, created a lot of modules that. Kind of morphed into much of the work that's been done around the reading academy in texas and there are are there so other efforts going on at any one time i actually don't know about all of them that's probably an okay thing right um that's just how much is going on at any one time within the meadows center i will say that one of the things that so if you haven't already i will encourage you to go to the meadows center website and check these out um the last to put out these 10 e documents these are brief so only one three or four pages uh, Their brief document that highlight uh, something that's really important to think about. So, uh, I worked with Diane Bryant to author two of these. So, we have a ten keys to best practices for teaching elementary mathematics. There's also a ten keys for teaching uh, mathematics in middle school and high school. There was re ten keys that came out on um, social emotional learning. There's ten keys about uh, database decision making. There's a ten keys about use of explicit instruction. Uh, I think there's probably about 15 key documents right now and they're PDFs and you can download them and share them with whoever you would like. Um, and also if you ever want uh, paper copies of them, you can reach out to us at the Meadows center and we are usually happy to send some of those along to people to disseminate at maybe a caregiver night that you might have at your school or So you'll see a lot of Meadows stuff going around at one time. Uh, and all of it has an evidence base to support its use, so I think that um, they are typically good resources to access.
0: Wow! So I never, I never actually heard someone say TEMI, like the name of it. We say TEMI.
1: Uh, you know, I I say that, and I've heard other people say that, but some people will just say the T E M I. Right. But, yeah, that's um awesome. Often, uh, like the graphics designer, he will respond, the TV is in this location, uh, because it's recently moved on our website, and that's why I've been talking about it recently. I
0: found it. I've shared it with everybody in this group.
1: Our website, uh, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to start to be public-facing. I've seen some prototypes of it. Uh, it's really exciting but that in that transition point, some of the stuff that's typically available on the Meadows Center website is being over, I mean unavailable on the what will soon be the antiquated website. So I've probably in the last uh, answered questions from about twenty people asking materials, and so I can send them a direct materials right now, but then mm-hmm. hopefully they'll be easier to find on the new uh, new website.
0: Well, my my last uh, episode last week, I made a, a google doc or i guess to google slides where i put mm-hmm. in all the free cbms that i can find
1: oh um, yeah nice that's awesome you,
0: so uh, there's on there there's links to easy cbm to um Acadian stuff i don't have that well is you
1: that, should yeah uh, diables does that diables yes yeah, so well uh, kate's is kind of an offshoot of the doubles materials and Acadians has math materials in addition to reading materials and all of their k or K-8 math materials are available for free download. And if you are interested in math progress mentoring, they have both computation measures and applications measures. So that's really exciting. Uh, so you can log onto their website and once you just sign in, you are able to download this for free. And then hopefully our tier uh, K-6 computation measures that are TEKS aligned, will be available, uh,
0: hopefully, here in just a few months. Yay! So yeah. it goes further than second grade, because the TEMI just goes to second grade. Yeah, so there's six. That is so awesome. Yeah, so I've they been, look nice, too. They I've been good. using those. Just the other day, I was doing some summer testing, and I was like, you're going to do little kindergartner going to first grade, and we did the kindergarten. Oh, that's cool. TEMI, yeah. and it just teaches you so much about a child's Strengths development and, of yeah. of their learning and and you know how much you need so much certain you know various types of numeration for example to mm-hmm. understand cal- you know to really be good at calculation and um, i can it's you know they're, the, the states coming down on us so much about doing these impact statements and we don't all you know have a lot of practice we've just been so diagnostic in the past and not yeah. really prescriptive And now, you know, with having to be prescriptive, it's so neat to see that direct link, you know, in my impact, you know, straight from the CBMs to the impact statement to the classroom. Mm -hmm. It is a smooth flow. And it makes me feel as a diagnostician just so much more purposeful that I I can guide instruction and, you know, make set a child in the right place off to the right direction with a parent, with a teacher and, Mm -hmm. and everything. And the fact that CBMs, you know, have these... Um, progress monitoring that you can keep using over and over again throughout the year to monitor progress rather than just a one-time deal um, just really uh, helps. Progress monitoring so right. important if you really want to understand
1: the trajectories that students are on, that and that's just data that you cannot get from like a beginning of year, mid-year, end-of-year test, or even like chapter tests or net tests. So uh, progress monitoring is a key, key component for any good instructional programming it just has to be an essential part of it.
0: Right, and I, I, I'm i starting to have, you know, when I started this clubhouse, I was like, I just wanted to find answers. I just wanted to interview people and from researchers get the answers. And I just feel like I'm I'm starting to see a lot of things come along that really are mm-hmm. reassuring. Oh, that's um, great. You know, just the fact that I, I learned the other day that um, I just didn't even know this, that since January, 2021, teachers who teach, who, who knew, t- Teacher E3 through 6 teachers have to have the science of teaching certificate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so now I am adding that to my certification and it's like, yay, there's CBMs in here. There's phonics in here. This is everything like science. That's really cool. Yeah. That's
1: <laughs> you know. super awesome. Yeah.
0: So I would encourage you all to also, you know, everybody in the group, if you have coworkers or you're a diagnostician yourself and just haven't gotten um, you know, this extra certification. It's just really good to have to know what the teachers are expected to have nowadays. So, yeah, and then all, of course all the reading academies and everything is just very reassuring that there's a lot, you know, a lot more going on. So, you know, I had asked about um, the recommendation. The You had already kind of touched in recommendations at the end of our evaluation with these key, and that was one of my questions just. Um, when we are making recommendations in our um, evaluation reports. So you were, you were saying that we could actually look towards these key documents mm-hmm. to yeah. sort of generate they're, our they're recommendations.
1: This is good synthesis that's going on. So I, mm-hmm. I like those a lot. Um, there's also a, a wonderful set of evidence resources that come from uh, a number of organisms. So if I'm always trying to keep up on the research, I uh, will look to the What Works Clearinghouse. They have excellent practice guides. They just released a new elementary math practice guide in March of 2021. So new, about a year old now, uh, that says, you know, here are the six practices that have a strong evidence base for teaching math to students who struggle with math, Um, uh, work uh, is the National Center on Intensive Intervention or the NCII, they run the intensiveintervention.org website. There's lots of free main resources there, in addition to the tools charts, which some of you might be familiar with. If you're looking for progress monitoring measures or academic interventions, they review the, those different types of, of interventions or progress monitoring measures to say, you know, which of these have a strong a strong research background or strong or strong reliability. So uh, in CII, as we developed a free math intervention course, so if you're doing math intervention, you want to know more about it I've been scoping and sequencing to progress monitoring to actually the teaching of mathematics. Um, the NCI website has a free course that you can access that has lots of videos in it, lots of awesome activities. And then I would also say, that the, well, the Meadows Center, of course, because that's local. Um, but there's other really good centers like the Cedar Center housed at the University of Florida, the Iris Center at Vanderbilt University, uh, the Florida Center for Re- Reading Research at uh, Florida State University. These are all just like, good places where they're doing research and then they're also trying to synthesize that research and share it with people out in the world. So, um, those would be some places that I would look to and, you know, you can send letters or sign up for email blasts, but all of those organizations that I just talked about have a media presence. So I follow all of them on Twitter. So if the new practice side coming out, you can guarantee there's going to be several tweets about it and then you can go and access that practice guide. So, um I use a lot of social media to really try to help me stay current with research, not only but also from research-based organizations like those we just
0: talked about. Right? Yes, I started just recently to follow a lot of those researchers. It seems like a lot of y'all are very much on Twitter. So
1: Twitter is a huge <laughs> place. Yes. So, um it's helpful to cuz I keep up with everything that's coming out, every new article. So A lot of researchers that I collaborate with or that I admire or that I I like their work or they just do stuff in the space where I do research, I follow them on Twitter and people will say, hey, look at this new article I wrote about X, Y, Z. And so um, for me, I found it's almost better than trying to follow people on Google Scholar Research uh, or the like. Just follow them on Twitter and people will typically
0: tell you what's going on. Right. Well, and... You know, Clubhouse I'm trying to get discussion back into social media. Yeah. You know, you go to professors classes what does the professor always say, well, you know, are you participating in the discussion? So, um and I like they mean like real discussion, not bulletin boards of discussion yeah. that you know, we're forgetting <laughs> yeah. about. I just you know, I just see so much value in, in discussion and so much learning. So um uh, hoping that Clubhouse adds that special um twist for, for the people who gathered here. We do have a lot of people. I have found out now that um there's not just people joining on Clubhouse. This is being shared through emails and oh, nice. on That's very um, cool. Yeah, we're, I've made a podcast out of it. People are listening to the podcast. So there's a number of ways that people are listening to these. Just hearing a lot of great stories about how you were getting this word out for let's all learn about what the research says and incorporate it into our reports and be current uh, just makes us right now special with the way that things are changing in special education and especially LD identification. We just have to really stay up on everything, all the news, um, whatever you all have to share with us, we're always ready to listen. Is there any other, besides Twitter, I saw you guys have a newsletter on the Meadows website. Yeah,
1: there's a newsletter. There's also, it's up and running. Again, we're doing some transitions right now this summer. Um, But if you're ever interested in participating in school-based, there's a way to reach out with our contact who could say like, oh, this project at fourth grade might be of interest. This project in middle school might be of interest to you. Uh, So if it's not up and running now, it will be up and running soon too, because we're always reading districts to see if they want to be our research partners, but sometimes people actually want to reach out to us as well. So uh, that should be up and running soon if it isn't
0: already. Um, Lori Melton says, hi. She went through the first tier essentials training session while she was at region 11 and she left in August, but she's been joining us. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, the tier team, as you know, is amazing. So um, I hope you enjoyed working with them as much as I do.
0: Avonia Gibbs, she's a regular here. She also has her own clubhouse for special education teachers. Oh, and cool. she says that this has been really informative. So oh, hopefully so she much, could pass Zavonia. it to her followers. Yeah. All right. And see any more comments in the co- in the chat? Uh, and Lori says she had such a great experience. All right. So again, I thank you very much for joining us and hopefully um, people can share this through various methods uh, the share button and uh, we'll get lots of replays and um, learn so much. And we will be watching, watching, watching to see what else you guys develop and how we can get involved as well. You know, the the research studies and letting our districts know about what you're doing, offering to help with any research and incorporating any of the research you do into our reports, as well with the recommendations or what have you. So, well, thanks again for joining. Thank today. you for the invite.
1: Yeah, hopefully we can chat again soon.
0: Thank you. Bye. Have
1: a good one. Bye. Bye.